Welcome to Women's HealthCast, a podcast from the University of Wisconsin Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology. I'm Jackie Askins. With this podcast, I'll be exploring issues and innovations around women's health with a little help from experts in the UW Department of OBGYN. In this episode, I talk to Kristen Sharp. Dr. Sharp is an obstetrician gynecologist in the UW Department of OBGYN and the medical director of the UW Centering Pregnancy Program. Dr. Sharp and I discussed common pregnancy myths and why the UW Department of OBGYN brought group prenatal care to Madison. Welcome, Dr. Sharp. Thanks for having me. Um, Tell me a little bit about your background. Where are you from? Where did you go to medical school and do your residency? Absolutely. Um, So I grew up in a far western suburb of Chicago called St. Charles. I went to undergrad at Washington University in St. Louis. Um, I did my medical school at Loyola University in Chicago and then went to University of Michigan for my residency in Ann Arbor. So I've done the the Midwest tour. Covering a lot of Midwestern ground for sure. Yes. Um, Why did you want to become a doctor? I really wanted to be a doctor for as long as I can really imagine. I remember being in late elementary, early junior high and watching the TV show ER and turning to my mom and saying, oh, I can do that. And so really for as long as I can remember in school, I knew I wanted to be a doctor. I took Latin in high school because I heard that that was going to help me in medical school, which it didn't. But (laughs) I know some interesting Latin. Um, But yeah, it's it's really been kind of a long-term focus and dream of mine. So why obstetrics and gynecology? Um, I always really liked women's health. So even in high school, I was the one that people would go to to talk about their period problems because I was interested and I would read about women's health issues. Um, And then even in college, I developed that more. I was part of a women's health honorary. So we did a lot of campus education activities around contraception um, and safe sex and things like that. And so that's always kind of been on my... Uh, forefront as well. So going into medical school, I knew I was going to do OB and thank God loved my (laughs) rotation. Um, And so, yeah, then chose it as my specialty. So walk me through an average day in your practice. What does being an OBGYN look like on a day-to-day? Yeah. So um, I'm going to speak about this two ways because now I don't take call anymore. So it was very different historically than what it was, what I, my job is now. Um, so, you know, as an OB, your day today can vary quite a bit. So one day you might be in, on labor and delivery, delivering babies, doing C-sections, taking care of women in labor. Um, another day you might be in the operating room. So you might be starting off your day with a hysterectomy. Um, and other days you might be seeing um, patients in clinic, anywhere from OB care to people with gynecologic issues. Um, And being in academic medicine also lends itself to teaching residents and medical students, so that would be a part of my day as well. So um, the variety is nice. Um, Now, with my current role, I no longer take call. Um, I do mostly uh, focus on resident education, Um, and so I'll spend an entire day in clinic with the residents, working with them as they see their own patients. Um, And with centering pregnancy, I will have centering pregnancy groups where I provide group prenatal care um, on certain um, days of the week. So I want to talk a little bit especially about pregnancy. Um, Yeah. Since I've joined the department, uh, you've been kind of the go-to expert when we've had (laughs) questions or opportunities come up to talk about this. Um, It's this really beautiful time and this really strange time full of changes and especially a lot of 
questions and concerns and, you know, can I do this? Can I not do this? What do I have to give up? What should I start doing? Um, So what is the most common pregnancy myth or weird question that your patients come to you with? Absolutely. So I get a lot because I think the internet is readily available to everybody. Um, So you can find a lot of good information, but a lot of misinformation on the internet. Um, But I'd say the most common one is ways to tell if you're having a boy or a girl. So really commonly people will be, will be listening to somebody's um, fetal heartbeat and they'll say, oh, it's 160 beats per minute. That means I'm having a girl. And I'm like, "Mm, I don't know where you got that from. Um, So there's really no way to predict if you're having a boy or girl besides, you know, seeing something directly on ultrasound or some specific blood test that can tell you. Um, But that's the one I think there's the most kind of mystique and old wives tale about that. Speaking of misinformation then, and the huge variety of um, answers, both good and bad, that you can find online, I was hoping we could play a quick game of true or false Absolutely. with a collection of weird myths that I've either read about or heard my um, friends who are having babies start talking about. And I might have some follow-ups about yeah. each of these true or false myths. So, dyeing my hair, getting manicures, totally off limits during pregnancy. It's actually okay in moderation. So I wouldn't change a hair color every week, but, you know, dyeing your hair once or twice over the course of the pregnancy should be fine. Make sure you're doing it in a well-ventilated place if you're doing it on your own or, I guess, a salon that's well-ventilated. Same things with manicures. Manicures are fine. I would just really be mindful about how frequently you get them and also not try to directly huff any manicure fumes. That makes sense. No huffing nail polish. Yes. I think... (laughs) probably just good life advice in general. Yes. <laughs> um, I should not exercise while pregnant. Actually, we really strongly recommend exercising when pregnant. Um, so if you had an exercise routine that you did pre-pregnancy, from for most case, we want you to continue to do that. There's a couple of small exceptions, you know, any contact sports or anything that is on the extreme limits, we would recommend people step back from that. But if you're a runner before pregnancy and you're having a healthy pregnancy, please continue to run. Um, If you're a swimmer, that's great to do. Anything um, really that gets you up and moving, we recommend. Pregnancy is also a time if you're not previously exercising, maybe to start doing something, but start small. So pregnancy is not the time to start training for your first marathon. Um, but you know, finding an exercise routine that can enhance your, your cardiovascular health can be helpful, such as walking on a treadmill or just, you know, going for walks outside. Um, there's swimming classes. There's also classes that are meant for or targeted towards pregnant women. Um, so that can be not only a great opportunity to exercise, but also to bond with other people that are pregnant. The two exercises or kinds of exercises I've heard the most about, um, kind of heard the most questions about are yoga Mm -hmm. and lifting weights. Okay, yeah. Can you tell me anything about the safety of either of those? So for yoga, most yoga is going to be safe in pregnancy. I wouldn't do hot yoga. I would also be mindful of position. So some of the inversions might make you feel dizzy or lightheaded. Um, So there are actually dedicated prenatal yoga classes. So if that's something you want to look for, most places will have something like that. Um, Also, if you're in a regular yoga class, you can just modify some of the poses. Um, And I I really say the rule of thumb is to listen to your own body. You know, if you're feeling dizzy, lightheaded, if you start to cramp, your body's telling you, hey, you're you're overdoing it here. So either modify or, or just stop for a little while. 
Um, weightlifting is another good question. I wouldn't recommend, again, training to lift your, your personal best in pregnancy. I think some um, lower weights or repetitive weights can be not a bad thing, um, but focusing on arms, legs. Pregnancy is not a time to really develop your core either um, because that that baby in uterus is going to be pushing out on those muscles. And so um, that can be really hard on your body if you're really trying to build up your core strength. My favorite one, I'm eating for two now, so yes. nothing can stop me. No, you're not eating for two. <laughs> um, so really in, a, in pregnancy, the pregnancy requires about 300, 300 extra calories a day. So that is not that much, really. Um, so if, you, if people have the mindset, I'm eating for two, I am worried that they're going to gain way too much weight in pregnancy, which can carry with itself both risks to mom and baby. So a little bit of extra is great, um, but eating for two is not the case. <laughs> what are some of the risks then with um, ex excess gestational weight gain? Yeah, um, so it can place a mom at risk of gestational diabetes, um, which actually then can place the baby at some risks as well. So babies of diabetic moms weigh way more. Um, may have trouble in labor. Um, babies also can have low sugar after they're born if their mom is a diabetic or if their mom gained excessively during pregnancy. Um, other things that can put you at risk really of any pregnancy complication, high blood pressure, preeclampsia. Um, so it's, it's a good time to really kind of be mindful of, of your diet and exercise routines. Speaking of diet then, um, food restrictions. So I should not have sushi. Right. Why is that? Because with the raw fish, there's the risk of contamination. And several of those contaminants actually are things that can make not only moms sick, but can make, make babies sick as well. So veggie sushi is okay, um, but no raw fish um, during pregnancy. Uh, coffee. Coffee in moderation is okay. So about a cup a day um, is what I would stick to, but you don't have to go to cold turkey when you're pregnant. That is really good to know. Yes. <laughs> uh, alcohol. Alcohol is a, a not recommended in pregnancy. So we don't know what a quote-unquote safe amount of alcohol is, so we really just tell people to avoid. Avoid actually when you're trying to get pregnant too um, because that first couple weeks of pregnancy, really before women even know they're pregnant, can be at one of the most at-risk times for a baby to be affected by alcohol. Um, so again, I would just avoid because we just don't know what a, a safe amount is. This is one I don't totally understand, and I'm hoping you can tell me why deli meat. Right. It's because of a bacteria called listeria. So for actually a lot of bacteria, the placenta does a really good job of filtering those out and not letting those get to baby. But listeria is one of those bacteria that can sneak through the placenta into the baby. Um, and listeria can cause actually stillbirths and miscarriages. So it, the impact on baby can be pretty severe. So listeria is a bacteria that can actually live on cold deli meat. So deli meat is not necessarily totally off limits. If you heat it up in the microwave to steaming, um, that should kill any listeria that would be there. Um, but yeah, as, as kind of a rule of thumb, I would avoid any cold deli meat. Other um, types of foods that can have listeria on it, sometimes prepared foods at grocery stores will. So from time to time, you'll hear about a listeria outbreak on the news and I don't know, potato salad or something like that that's prepared in the store. So really just trying to be mindful about, about what you eat. Prenatal vitamins are a total racket. False. 
prenatal um, vitamins are not a racket. They're something that's really important and beneficial for the pregnancy. Um, with our diet and where we live, we can be vitamin deficient in a lot of different things. And pregnancy is not the time you want to play around with that. So definitely recommend a vitamin and specifically a prenatal vitamin because they have folic acid in them, which is really important for the development of the baby's brain and spinal cord. I should only sleep on my left side. So actually either side is fine in pregnancy. Um, the reason why we tell women to not necessarily sleep directly on their back after 20 weeks of pregnancy is the concern that the pregnancy actually might compress some blood vessels in, the, in a woman's back. Um, it's the type of thing that if you go to sleep on your side and wake up on your back, don't worry about it. Don't you know worry that you've done something to your baby. Um, but really we recommend women try to start sleeping on their sides greater than 20 weeks of pregnancy. And really that's going to be the most comfortable position anyways. Um, but again, if, if you wake up on your back, don't worry that you've done something to harm your baby. Last one. Yeah. I should not get the flu shot while I'm pregnant. Oh, please get your flu shot. <laughs> um, flu in pregnancy is a totally different beast than flu when you're not pregnant. So when a woman is pregnant, her immune system is suppressed. That's just normal pregnancy stuff. Um, so if a woman contracts the flu while she's pregnant, she has a higher likelihood of getting really, really sick from it. And I mean, like in the ICU sick or actually even dying from it. We've had women die in this area from the flu in pregnancy. Um, and I know there's a lot of worry about, is the flu shot safe in pregnancy? It has been widely studied. The flu shot is safe in pregnancy, and it can be good protection not only for you, but for your baby. Because then if you happen to have your baby in the midst of flu season and you've been vaccinated, that's the biggest protection that you can offer your baby. And on that note, I would tell everybody who's going to be around that, that baby that they need to get their flu shot, too. What other kinds of shots do um, family members need to get to prepare for safe baby? Yeah, I would say the other big one is the Tdap shot. So that's a shot that we all get when we're growing up. And really, we should have that shot updated every 10 years. And what the Tdap shot has in it, it has tetanus in it, so you're protected against that. But the big thing to protect baby is the pertussis or the whooping cough piece of that vaccine. So a baby doesn't respond to the whooping cough vaccine until they're about three or four months of age. So they're not vaccinated. Um, and if a newborn happens to contract whooping cough, they have a really high likelihood of dying from it. So by getting Tdap shot is the best way to um, protect the baby against pertussis or the whooping cough. These are just a small, small fraction of the questions that I know my friends had that I saw online out there. And it feels like it's a lot of information to try and cover in um, prenatal visits. Absolutely. So what other options are there for people to get like really solid evidence-based pregnancy information and kind of prepare Absolutely. themselves for parenting? So one suggestion that I would have if this is available and this is available here at UW is a program called Centering Pregnancy. Um, so what that is, it's prenatal care that you get in a group. So you get it in a group of other women who are due around the same time that you are. Um, and so part, a huge component of centering is education. So centering groups last for about two hours. About an hour and a half of that time is spent talking about pregnancy-related topics and also just having time to recall the questions you have. Because I can't tell you how many times I go to the doctor for something. I leave the visit and get to the parking lot, and I'm like, oh, shoot, I totally forgot to ask you know, the five questions I had. 
Um, so centering really gives you time to settle in and, and think about those questions that you have and also learn from the questions that other people ask. Um, you know, speaking from an OB perspective, when I see patients in clinic for kind of routine prenatal visits, it's such a short period of time that it's really hard to cover all of the topics that you know, are important for the health of the mom and the health of the baby. So through this program, it really gives us time to kind of focus on, on really everything. Why did we decide to bring Centering Pregnancy to Madison? So a couple different reasons. So one, the, um, the outcomes, the birth outcomes of women that participate in centering have been shown in several studies to be improved. And so that includes reductions in preterm birth, reduction in low birth weight, increased breastfeeding rates, um, increased contraceptive use after pregnancy, which can help you time your pregnancies a little bit better. Um, and so because of these outcomes, as well as just the opportunity to get a lot of education in pregnancy and bond with other women, we saw that this program had so much value um, that we wanted to bring it to our patients here. Furthermore, in Madison, we have a lot of disparities in our health outcomes. So um, an African-American baby that is born in Madison has a higher likelihood of being born preterm or higher likelihood of dying in the first year of life. And so this potentially could be a solution to some or part of the solution to some of the, um, the health disparities that we have here. So if I sign up for centering, um, what can I expect during my experience? And then kind of the big question that pops into a lot of heads, I think, is am I going to have to get a pelvic in front of other people? Yes. <laughs> we will not do pelvic. We do not do pelvics in centering. That's actually the number one question I think I get. Um, so with centering, so each group lasts about two hours long. Um, and the, the physician that or the provider that facilitates the group might be an OB physician or a family medicine physician that does OB. We have certified nurse midwives and also um, nurse practitioners that do centering as well. So they see each woman individually that first 30 minutes. Um, so just a couple of minutes to go to a quiet corner of the room that is, is blocked off for privacy, talk about any personal or private concerns they might have. That's where we also listen to baby's heart tones, take a measurement of their belly. Um, and then once everybody has had their turn for an individual visit, then we spend about the next 90 minutes in the group time where we're talking about all those health-related topics I had mentioned. But yeah, there's no, no pelvic exams, no sensitive exams in the, in the group space. Do um, people who join Centering still have normal sort of the regularly scheduled prenatal checkups with their provider too? So centering takes the place of your prenatal visit. Um, so it's not like a birth class. In addition to your prenatal care, this is your prenatal care, but with a lot of the features of a birth class built in. Um, but if there are some personal concerns that somebody has, um, we can certainly kind of get that woman a private one-on-one -on -one visit um, as well. What are some of the greatest successes you've seen with Centering since we brought it here in 2014, I think? Yep, it was May of 2014 was the launch of our first group. Um, so it's really interesting to see the relationships and the bonding that happen among the women that participate. Um, so I recall there's one of the early groups, there was five women in that, that they still get together and have coffee and they all have these babies that are the same age. I guess they're not babies anymore, they're toddlers now. 
um, or preschoolers even, geez. Um, so I think that that's always an interesting story. Another one that I've seen too is women meeting and bonding who would never cross paths in another situation. Um, there was one woman who was first-time mom in her early 30s and another woman that was a first-time mom, I think in her late teens or even early 20s. And they just really made this connection through centering and so still get together today. So I really think it's the, the connections and the social support that, that make the biggest difference. And speaking from a provider perspective, I've gotten to know the patients in my centering group much better than most of the patients I've seen in my own clinic, even people I've seen for you know two plus pregnancies. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it was really interesting to learn more about this. Is there anything that you would want uh, someone starting out on their pregnancy to know? Yeah, I would say just overall, don't be afraid to ask questions. I see a lot of women turn to, like I said, the internet and, um, you know, friends and not that there's anything wrong, you know, certainly, um, you know, turn to your support system, ask questions, but there's a lot of misinformation out there. And I constantly hear people say, oh, I don't want to burden you with questions or, you know, I don't want to act, look like I, I'm dumb or something like that. Really just ask your provider questions. Feel free to, to reach out to the clinics. And then my other piece would be, you know, if you are in the Madison area, I would really consider centering as an option for prenatal care. I know it seems different. Um, and if you're interested, there is lots of information about centering on our, um, our website. Um, if you just search UW or University of Wisconsin Centering Pregnancy, we have a web page. We have a video on there just to give you a little bit of a visual perspective on what this is. But I would really encourage you to give it a try because we found that 90% of women who did centering at our centering program said that they would recommend it again. Thank you so right. much. Thanks. Women's HealthCast is a production of the University of Wisconsin-Madison Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology. This episode was produced and engineered by Rob Garza. On the next Women's HealthCast, I'll talk to David Kushner. Dr. Kushner is a gynecologic oncologist in the UW Department of OBGYN and a national expert in physician wellness. In 2018, OBGYNs reported the fourth highest rate of burnout among U.S. physicians. Dr. Kushner and I will talk about what contributes to physician burnout, what it means for patients, and what the medical community is doing to address this issue.